Hello and welcome everybody to a special edition of the Saturdays are for the Byzantines podcast. My name is Professor Wren and I am your host. And today I'm doing something a little different. Today what I wanted to do was I wrote an essay that I sent around to a couple of different online publications uh, to try to get published and was denied by most of the publishers, well, all of the publishers I sent it to. I won't say who, just because I don't want to burn any bridges. But I figured one way that I could get this out online was to read it as a video essay for my YouTube channel. Because obviously when I write something as a video essay for my YouTube channel, I don't have to deal with a publisher. So the topic of the essay uh, is about uh, the Kyle Rittenhouse trial, which is kind of in, in our 24 hour news cycle, kind of a thing of the past. Um, and it's connection to uh, the French philosopher, uh, Rene Girard, who I became a fan of in college uh, studying with uh, Dr. Uh, Dwayne Armitage at the University of Scranton. So this video will obviously be different because as a video essay, I'm not really going to be giving any side commentary on anything. I'm just going to read uh, the article, read the essay, um, and I'm not going to, you know, jump in with my own, with my own comments uh, here and there. So here we go. So Kyle Rittenhouse as Gerard's uh, scapegoat. For two weeks, the nation found itself captivated by the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. The jury found the teenager not guilty on all counts of shooting three men in clear self-defense during a Black Lives Matter slash Antifa riot in August 2020. But why did the story garner so much national attention? The Rittenhouse case was unlike most of the shootings we see in the news today because everyone involved in the case was white. Usually, the liberal elite choose to focus on shootings of blacks by whites. I believe the recently deceased French philosopher René Girard can give some answer, uh, answers to this question. I first encountered the writing of Gerard during my studies under uh, Dr. Dwayne Armitage at the University of Scranton. We read Gerard's essay, Are the Gospels Mythical? Which first thing was published in 1996 during our postmodern philosophy class. It was during this class that Dr. Armitage and I developed an appreciation for Gerard's ideas regarding mimetic desire and scapegoating. More on both of that later. Rene Girard was a man who wore many hats. He was a historian, a literary critic, and a philosopher. Though he is best known for his work in philosophy, particularly in the area of epistemology. Though born in France, he completed his doctorate at the University of Indiana and spent most of his career in the United States. He passed away in 2015. For Girard, much of human behavior can be explained by what he calls mimetic desire. The word mimetic comes from the Greek mimese, meaning to imitate. 
Girard believed human desire for certain things came from our desire to imitate one another. For example, Girard would say that I want an iPhone, not because it is a good phone, but because so many people around me have them and I want to be like them as well. Such a desire could be traced all the way back uh, to adolescence with children striving to imitate their parents. Excuse me. However, such mimetic desire, Jor said, can also lead to conflict. Eventually, rivalries manifest between groups competing for goods or rivalries emerge between groups who have different mimetic desires. Eventually, such rivalries and tensions threaten to turn violent. In order that these tensions do not break out into all-out warfare, Girard observed that people would instead find one particular person or group of people on whom to blame their problems. One need only take a look at history to find examples of this phenomenon, uh, such as what happened with Jews or gypsies. Girard calls the victim of this rage the scapegoat, and the mob then unifies around its hatred for him. The most quintessential aspect of the Girardian scapegoat, or sorry, the most quintessential example of the Girardian scapegoat is the story of the Passion of the Christ in the Gospel. Scapegoated and crucified by the crowd soon after he was welcomed as king. Sooner or later, the mob offers up the scapegoat as a blood sacrifice and everybody is happy, but only for a time. The irony in the particular case of Black Lives Matter is that their concern for victims of police brutality, whether it's founded or not, or well-founded or not, I should say, uh, comes from the very Christianity they seek to disrupt. Though other cultures throughout history have told stories of scapegoats, Christianity became the first culture to take pity on the scapegoated victim. It is only because of the culture, Christianity, and particularly uh, the Catholic Church, and because of Christ's death on the cross, that we feel a concern for victims of scapegoating. So why did a teenager from Wisconsin become the scapegoat of the liberal establishment in the United States? Well, the absurdly high tensions of the summer of 2020 were a perfect storm for a scapegoating situation. Certainly, Officer Derek Chauvin became a scapegoat and the mob, exa the mob exacted their blood sacrifice with him. However, regarding Rittenhouse, though none of the men he shot were black, they were considered Black Lives Matter allies and therefore his self-defense was unacceptable. Kyle Rittenhouse's face was plastered all over the media, including by the Biden campaign, as yet another example of white supremacy in America. Never mind the fact that all the people he shot were white, the liberal establishment never lets facts get in the way of a good narrative. Another aspect to consider is that Girard also says that the mob completely lacks any awareness of what they're doing. They see themselves as on a holy crusade to root out the one thing that is impeding societal peace. Even after the scapegoat is dispatched, the mob will never realize that they were the villains in the situation the entire time. 
The final oddity in the story of the Jardian scapegoat is that oftentimes, once the scapegoat is dispatched, the mob will look back on him and think, was he really that bad after all? One could observe such a story arc in the history of recent Republican nominees for president. Bush was the embodiment of evil until John McCain. John McCain was the embodiment of evil until Mitt Romney. And Mitt Romney was the embodiment of evil until Donald Trump. Before too long, when the next Republican nominee comes around, we will hear the media say of Donald Trump, was he really so bad? And such words sound crazy, but we have already heard them spoken, if briefly, uh, regarding guys such as Ron DeSantis in Florida or Larry Elder when he challenged Gavin Newsom in California. Ultimately, I do not believe the liberal establishment will ever change their tune when it comes to Kyle Rittenhouse. His full exoneration means they failed to get their blood sacrifice. Perhaps the only thing that can make the liberal establishment change their tune on Rittenhouse would be the millions upon millions that they have to pay to him in defamation lawsuits. So those are my thoughts, uh, although a bit delayed, on the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. Uh, if you guys like this video where I, you know, I bring you a video essay with my thoughts on current events, let me know in the comment section below. Please make sure to like the video, subscribe to the channel if you are new, and hit the notification bell so you never miss another episode. And if you are listening on Apple Podcast or Spotify, please make sure to follow us there as well and give us a five-star review really helps out. So that is all I have for you today. And I'll see y'all next time.